0: Well, come to our classroom. Welcome, welcome everybody. Here for another episode. Glad you could join us this day. Welcome. In this space, we talk about education, which is inclusive of, but not limited to, what happens in schools. Education is taking place whenever and wherever we are willing to learn. Today, we have Dan Cummings with us. Thank you for being here. Dan, so happy to have you. Uh, Let me just share a little bit with the public about you. Dan is a career educator. He's taught in a variety of educational settings from alternative high schools to college prep schools, parochial to public, got the range of experience. Uh, He's in his 23rd year as an educator, eighth year as a principal, with degrees from Colorado State University and Middlebury College, an avid practitioner of the martial arts, so watch out. And he's also an amateur photographer. Dan and his wife just celebrated 20 years of marriage. Salute to you and your wife and spent the last six months building a small, off-the-grid cabin in the middle of nowhere, Colorado wild and crazy. Uh, Dan, I'm so happy to have you with us. You bring not only a wealth of experience, but kind of a unique background in terms of your come up and also what you're doing with the off the grid stuff. And so I'm I'm happy to have you here because you're going to offer something different to our public than some of the people I've been interviewing. And we're all diverse and unique. And so thank you, Dan, for being here. It's such a pleasure to connect with you. You bet. Thanks for having me. So I want to go ahead and and get started just by having you share with everybody. And I usually start the show this way. How do you self-identify? Where are you from? And can you tell us a little bit about your educational journey, whether as a learner or as a professional? Yeah, you bet.
1: You know, and I'll start again but just by saying, like, thanks for having me on. Thanks for welcoming me into this. Um, I'm really excited to be here and and happy to be talking to you today. so self-identity, you know, I identify cisgendered, straight, white, male. You know, I, I see myself in that, that class of privilege that, that comes with all of those things. Um, I had a pretty blue-collar upbringing, um, you know, run-of-the-line public schools, did pretty well, was able to go to college after that, so I feel blessed with that. Um, you know, and I have been a career educator ever since I graduated college. Like you mentioned, this is my 23rd year in education um I've been I've taught every year including now I've been a principal for eight years still teaching in a classroom this year teaching a senior English capstone class you know I think that working with kids in the classroom is the best way to run a school you know you really know what's going on that way um other things in my identity I am a practitioner of Zen Buddhism I am a lover of all kinds of music I am a husband I am a friend to people I am a son, um, and, and very involved with my mother and father as well. Um, in terms of where I'm from, you know, my father was military, so I traveled all over growing up. You know, I was born in Mississippi, lived in Japan, lived in New York, lived in Texas, lived in Colorado, you know, and, and that kind of has continued into my adult life. Um, lived in Mexico, and Chiapas, lived in Honduras, lived in Guatemala. I um, lived in New York, Ohio, Austin, Texas, and now I am circled back to, to Colorado. Um, and in terms of my educational journey, you know, I, I don't know, I'm one of those, I kind of just woke up into teaching. I didn't, I, I didn't plan on doing that to begin with. I had a professor in college that, you know, just kind of took me under his wing and got me involved in a program called the Fresh Air Fund out of um, upstate New York, working with children. And that just took me on my track into into teaching. So you know, I've done it. I've done it for for a long time now. Um, as As Roberto mentioned, I'm currently living in a rural area of Colorado. Um, my wife and I are building. We have we have a small house that we've just completed, um, completely off grid, solar, sustainable, all of that. Um, and I am currently a principal at a small Title One school. Um, Again, in the mountains, we are 86% of my students qualify for free and reduced lunch. We have a large transient population. Um, The major economy in the area is casinos and gold mining. Um, And that comes with a lot of abuses in the community, Um, drug abuse, um, you know, physical, mental, emotional abuse um, and a lot of poverty as well. So, you know, I have a very, strong faculty a strong group of teachers that i'm working with um and we have a very challenging challenging group of students and families that we work with um, great people great kids um, a lot of generational challenges for them to overcome so that's kind of me in a nutshell you know where i started and, and where i'm at right now
0: thanks thanks for sharing um, man you have such an interesting uh experience in terms of different places you've lived and been Um, And and surely you've seen a lot and that's influenced you. Uh, I want to focus our conversation on on where you're at and leading this rural school, because uh, I think there's room to talk more about the experiences in rural areas and what education looks like there. You started getting into a little bit uh, of of the challenges that you experienced in that setting. Uh, you, You mentioned high poverty over there. And, and talking about poverty and education, I think it's so important because it links so many groups of people across differences, you know, that that poverty thing is certainly a strand. And so would love for you to talk about a little bit more about some of the challenges in the setting that you're in. Uh, mm-hmm. And also to talk about some of the glows, some of the highlights. In that particular setting. You mentioned you, you have a good group of faculty um, and I think it's important not just to talk about the, the negative things and the challenging things, but to also highlight those positive things that, that really fill our cup. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Um, you know, starting with the, the grows, you know, in, a, in a, any small rural town, you know, there there's an insular aspect to it. So students And families don't necessarily see beyond that insular aspect. You know, they don't see different options. They don't see different paths. And so when it comes to education, um, you know, if generationally nobody in your family has ever considered anything past, you know, middle school or past high school, you know, you're not necessarily coming up in an education system that is going to encourage you to push past that either. So, you know, in, in, in a lot of small towns, and I'll speak for the district I'm in right now, you know, not a lot of parents have high school diplomas necessarily are not, definitely not a lot of parents have gone to college. So, you know, trying to get students to buy in and understand what education can be um, is a challenge because they're, they're only hearing it on one side of their lives. You know, the, the time they spend at school is very limited compared to the time they spend with influences outside of school. So, you know, getting them to understand that that it could open doors if they pursue it in a certain way is a challenge. Um, so you have that, that generational, that generation gap of, you know, how an education can benefit you. you. You also have the, you know, maybe, and this is, I don't know, it's my opinion, you also have the controversy of, you know, public education isn't necessarily designed to benefit people in poverty or people in rural communities, you know, it's, it's been designed for historically for you know, elites is where it started. And, and, you know, we have a great education system in this country because we do offer it to everybody. Um, but it, it's also a very failing education system because it's not offered equally to everybody. You know, equal access is not equitable, um, as we all know. And so that affects students in, in rural communities and, in, in, in and, in and, in and a lot of different ways. Um, you know, I could, I could go on for days about that. You know, you have a lack of have a lack of opportunity as well, you know. Whereas in, a, in an urban environment, perhaps you have access to community colleges, you have access to partner with other schools, you have access to partner with other businesses or, or other opportunities for the learning. In a small rural town, you know, my total student population for a 6 through 12 school is about 200 students. You know, our, the entire area maybe has, you know, I, I'd say 5,000 people in it, you know, and that's over 20 square miles. A lot of that is farming. Um, not a lot of access to, to opportunities outside of school. So, so we get a lot of students that come in with a, you know a lack of a foundation, um, a lack of a direction and a lack of voices, you know, telling them where they could go or what they could be. Um, you know, addressing that poverty piece of it, being a community that's based in, in casino money and mining, there, there's a huge amount of transients. You know, we have students coming and going, we have families losing jobs. Um, we have a significant lack of available housing because there's literally just not buildings up there. Um, and similar to, I, I would compare it to like a resort town, um, you know, whether that's on a beach or, or in the mountains somewhere where a whole lot of people come in as tourists and a whole lot of, of people with money um, have vacation homes. And they, they come in and they take advantage of the area and, and they take advantage of the beauty that it offers and the, the activities that it offers for you know one or two weekends a year. Um, but what they leave behind is, is unaffordable housing for those of us that live there. They leave behind you know, seasonal work for the people who, pass, who are passing through looking for jobs. Um, they leave behind um, not a whole lot generated in property taxes, not a whole lot of support for school boards, not a whole lot of community involvement. Um, because the people left behind, who are living there, um, you know, they're, they're they're living in low-income housing. They're living in hotels. They're living in trailers. Um, some of my students are living on the street, um, which you don't think about that when you think about a rural community. But the the, the poverty is the poverty is real, and, and that's a, a significant challenge for all of my for all of my students. Um, Man, I said a lot there, but, but let me, let me summarize that is, is I, I think the biggest piece of it is that, that lack of, that lack of access, you know, and our school becomes a, uh, centered to a community. It, we become a resource, like our, our biggest job is, is providing food for families, you know, and education takes a, a secondary role to, to making sure kids are fed, you know, to making sure kids have access to healthcare. Um, so that, that, that's a, that's a big grow, you know, that, that's a big area. Um, in yeah, terms I mean, of
0: what's going well. Like say, uh, when, you don't have, when you don't have the basics in place, it, it's hard for you to, you know, focus and say, like, oh yep. yeah, you know, I'm really tuned into my education. Like, no, nah, yep. you're hungry, you need to be fed. Ma- yeah,
1: Maslow's, you know, classic Maslow's hierarchy, you know, when we get kids coming in and they haven't slept or you know, the other big piece of it, Roberto, is like you see like our, our elementary school, full, full classes. You know, our middle school pretty full. You hit the high school, though, you know, so many of the students in this community, you know, they hit 16, 17 and they need to contribute. You know, they they're they're going to work on a farm. They're going to get a job, you know, making 10 bucks an hour in some cases because they need to contribute to their family. So by the time we hit, you know, sophomore, junior, seniors in high school you know, a lot of those kids have, have disappeared because they're out working.
0: Um,
1: so a big part of our, our high school program is is also a GED program and and recently, you know, really developing a, a work study program that's allowing these kids to to earn some cash while still pursuing a high school degree.
0: Yeah, and again, this, this theme of poverty, it's a strand that I wish um, communities across the nation that are tackling this would really connect and and build and share stories and experiences because you're saying a number of things that remind me of uh schools and areas in which i've served and and you've served uh but with a different different population um and yet there's this commonality when it comes to this poverty piece um so thank you for sharing that and yeah you bet you know listeners are, are really processing this and considering ways in, in which we could help build down, um, take down, kick down the walls that separate us and, and connect uh, across communities, across these differences with the hope of like being able to eradicate poverty and give people greater access. Um, So we heard, you know, you shared about these grows and these challenges, want to hear about some of the glows, want to hear about some of the highlights. What, well, what's, you know, what's filling your cup in this particular setting? Yeah, absolutely you know,
1: I, I mentioned a second ago, I have a great faculty, um, you know, people, people are in it with their eyes open, people are involved, people are, you know, very focused on what's good for kids and for families. Um, you know, they're, they're not getting paid what they should, just like any other teacher right. out there. Um, but their heart is in the right place, you know, and they come every day, really, really wanting to work with kids, you know, and, and I put like, again just to be clear when I talk about poverty and I talk about families these kids and these families are they're good people you know they're, they're in a position that they don't you know they don't necessarily see beyond their circumstances um, but they're good people the kids are hilarious the, the kids are a lot of fun to work with um, the, their families as well they're, they're very supportive in one way they, they appreciate what we're doing at the school which you know you don't find at every school you know in some schools you know in, some, in my experience in some schools you know there's a, a bit of entitlement or a bit of expectation. Um, you know, most of our families and, and most of our students don't have that entitlement. They, they really appreciate what we're trying to do, even if they're not able to engage it and in, in, at a level that uh, I would hope. Um, so yeah, you know, just the day-to-day is fun. You know, just the day-to-day of this school is, is exciting. You know, it's exciting to be a part of in, in a very positive way. I think that, you know, in the past year, um, you know, middle of COVID somewhere in there, um, funding started freeing up. There started to be a lot, of, a lot of grants, a lot of federal monies going out there to, to try and address, um, you know, the, the consequences or, or the results coming out of, of COVID-19 pandemic. And one of the big glows that we have in our district right now um, here in the state of Colorado, the governor released a, a fairly large grant program to address needs and, and you know, earmark that for rural communities. And you know, me and, and a couple of my colleagues wrote a grant and we're lucky enough to be a recipient of about $1.5 million um, last January, which is directly going into our school to build a, a career tra- a career and technical education program that, that was non-existent. So I'm, I'm super excited to be a part of that. That's gonna be a huge boon to the community. Um, we're really working with, with the community and, and the way we develop that. Um, for instance, one path we're taking is we're creating a construction trades program so, and it involves building a, a brand new building for our students where they will be able to you know, learn hands-on construction trades um, on the campus um, and, and kind of augmenting that you know, an ancillary benefit is that they're gonna be building um, small, tiny, tiny homes in this construction trades building, which the city that we work with um, has already donated land for, it won't be offering hookups for. So, you know, the sustainability of the program is that we will be building tiny homes, which then go into the community for low income housing, you know, for families in the community that need that. So I'm really excited about getting that kind of program going and I'm appreciative to the, the federal monies that you know, the state is, is divvying out for this sort of thing. I'm, I'm glad that they saw us. I'm glad that they understand, you know, we can't wait, you know, we can't wait 10 years to fix what's going on. We need, we need some help right now. So that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. That's right. um, and I would add, you know, just like I said before, um, one of the, one of the positives in, in the school I'm at right now is that people recognize that we are really a community service, you know, that, that we're there to help families and that the education piece is a part of that. But at the end of the day, you know, getting kids and families connected with social services is equally or more important in some cases than, you know, than our, our math curriculum, I guess. And, and people understanding that and having that common vision, you know, really makes it really makes it go pretty smoothly. That's a that's a big plus.
0: That's great. That's great. Congrats on that one point five million dollar grant. Thanks, man. Yeah, that's a big deal. You know, kudos to you and your colleagues. Uh, would love to see more schools across the country focusing on helping our young people develop skills, especially trade skills. That's right. Uh, open up all types of opportunities and present them on career paths that uh, might be better suited for them. Because That's right. Everybody does not learn the same way. So that is awesome. And then that, the, that comes the, back to that, you know, like public
1: education, you know, with that idea of you know, me growing up the way I grew up, um, you know, that idea of college was always kind of in my mind, you know, that idea of college was always a, a conversation, right. but I, that, that's not necessarily the goal of every family or of every child. And so creating a, an education system that allows students to both, you know, find that that success of a, of a high school diploma or a GED while also you know, finding finding a passion and a skill or a trade that, that they really want to involve themselves in, um, you know, not separating those two, not making it this right. or that, but you know, we can do both of those and value what value what some of these students you know want to do. You know, and again, I'm sorry if I'm derailing, but but again, in in a rural community like ours, that we don't have a community college. You know, we're we're four hours from the nearest you know university and college but we do have access to construction and trades jobs. We do have access to culinary arts pro, uh, uh, opportunities. So, you know, trying to m- meet the students where they're at, you know, and give them a reason and give them a, you know, that, that basic public education that also prepares them for something that is realistic, that for something that is there for them to grab onto. Um, you know, I think that- In some helpful. cases,
0: in some cases might be more beneficial, you know, that's right. considering exactly right. college debt and how it right. has people in the rat race, you know, versus, you know, young folks who are coming out with trade skills. That's right. Leveraging that into great careers. That's uh, right. I, I think what, what y'all are doing is wonderful while also meeting a need for the community by building those uh, tiny homes. That's dope, right. That's dope, man. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. So, what are what are some misconceptions that folks from the outside might have about uh, settings like yours, schools like yours, these rural communities? Um, I feel like sometimes we don't necessarily know enough. We don't talk enough about rural schools and rural populations. Yeah. So, what are some misconceptions that folks might have?
1: Yeah, I I think that you know I think that the big one you know especially in, in the town where I'm at. Is As often associating um, rural with kind of conservative or even like redneck kind of values. Um, I think that that is, you, you know, stereotypes come from somewhere, but I, but I also think that the way technology and social media and access um, online has um, changed that, you know, changed that even in, in my lifetime. Um, you know, my families are not all conservative. Um, my families are not all redneck farmers. My families are not all, you know, just this, you know, very, very small box of people. Um, you know, of all the schools that I've ever worked at, the school that I'm at right now has the largest population of gender nonconforming students. You know, it has the largest population of the LGBTQ plus um, community, you know, percentage wise that I've ever seen in any school. Um, you, you, you do have a lot of open-mindedness. You do have a lot of what would be considered liberal values and, and progressive values, um, you know, and, and yeah, a lot of that is, is overlapped with the mining community and is overlapped with, you know, a, a, a very Republican leaning county overall. But, you know, I, I think a lot of people think that everybody in the community and everybody in the school, you know, leans one way politically. Mm-hmm. And that's just not that's just not the case. Um, a lot of very open-minded people up here. Um, I, I also think, and and maybe this is again the outsider thing, but you know, w- when we talk about outsiders coming into our community, they're often vacationers. They're often tourists passing through. You know, and they see a very pretty, a very beautiful Colorado mountainside, and, and they have very nice meals, and they stay in very nice hotels. You know, and and I think they see the quality of living up here. Um, with some rose-colored glasses Um, because once you know what they don't see is is where the the people serving them breakfast actually live what they don't see is the you know where the the people taking them on tours you know what their their day-to-day life is actually like so i think there's a mistake you know everybody's like oh we want to live up there you know we want to be there but they, they don't. they're seeing it from a from a very touristy perspective not necessarily realistic for what is going on in our town or around our town um, you know, and, and I think that that's a misconception that, that, that people definitely have. Um, what else would I say, you know, our, our population is, is, I would say, you know, majority, majority white families, but we have a significant community of immigrants. We have a significant community of Native Americans. We have a significant community of, you know, families that identify as non-white for a variety of reasons. And so, you know, I I think the community does get does get whitewashed a little bit. And that's just not the case. You know, when you think rural, it's important to think also of marginalized, you know, a lot of people in a rural community are people who have been marginalized in other places. And and they're finding work in a rural community that they couldn't necessarily find, you know, in an urban environment.
0: So I think that answers your question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Again, I think they're There's not enough talk about rural communities and understanding the experiences there and how, how we can support and build. Um, And so uh, I appreciate you offering that perspective. I'm curious to know what the work of justice looks like in your school setting, uh, especially given that you mentioned um, these marginalized folks and People groups that perhaps many of us don't think about, uh, yeah, immigrant groups, and you you mentioned uh, uh, well, I'm blanking, but I heard you say immigrant for sure. You bet, you and, bet. And then, um, and then you mentioned a couple other groups. So yeah, Native American populations, um, absolutely. So I'm curious to know what the work of justice looks like in yeah your school system. I would
1: say, you know, kind of re- repeating something I maybe already said, I, I think that, you know, on, on some level, you know, justice looks like combating generational poverty, you know, justice looks like creating options, you know, justice looks like finding a way to, you know, put the public education system to work for the people that it, it traditionally has not served by by finding them options, by creating these programs, by you know, if they're not, quote unquote, college bound, you know, not beating them over the head for that, um, but finding a way to still be of service to them. I think I think that that adds to, you know, that 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 builds on justice for sure. Um, I think more, you know, on a smaller scale for me in, in this particular school, you know, I think it's about keeping police as an example, keeping police out of out of our hallways. Mm. Um, you know, you've heard of the everybody's heard of, the, you know, school to prison pipeline. You know, I started thinking about it a little differently. You know, what, what I see in, in my experience is more of a, you know, it's a birth to prison pipeline. You know, that, it, that if you're born in a particular sort of circumstances, you know, there, there's, there's a particularly high likelihood that you're gonna wind up in our, in our prison system. You know, and the school, is, the school is in between there. You know, it's not the school that's creating that pipeline. The, the school is, is in the middle of that pipeline. They, they can either be a facilitator of that pipeline, um, but I, I'm trying to get our school to be an intervention in that pipeline. That, you know, they come to, students come into us with a particular background, you know, and, and we can either punish them and, and keep them going down that pipeline by, you know, having cops in our hallways and, and you know, getting these kids in trouble, and, um, or we can, we can be an intervention you know, and, and, using restorative practices and using resources and using mm-hmm. alternates and giving them options, you know, try to get them out of that pipeline by, by giving them another direction. So that's the mentality I'm, I'm trying to hold on to when it comes to justice is again, like schools aren't, it's not a school to prison pipeline. A school is a, a school is a valve in that pipeline, but we do have a, we do have the ability to divert that. Um, and, and that's by working with those families and working with those kids, um, you know, and, and, all respect all respect to, to people who are in the police force um, but schools aren't schools aren't prisons schools should not be run as prisons and and you know 14 and 15 year olds should not be getting arrested or taken out in handcuffs so I, I think that's justice in a, in a small rural school um, you know and and I think that when I'm, when I'm talking about that I'm not just talking about discipline but I'm talking about you know restorative practices in terms of right helping kids, you know, helping kids make better decisions and holding them accountable, but also like, you know, that whole, like, um, let me back that up, helping kids and holding them accountable, but that whole, like, oh, you have to learn a hard lesson you have to have grit, you know, all of that, like all of my kids have had hard lessons coming into my school. They, they, they have grit just by showing up in the morning. Mm. And, you know, that's, that's a, that, that seems to be a middle-class, upper middle-class value that, you know, my kids have mastered. Um, so let's, you know, let's acknowledge that and, and let's give them credit for that. Like sometimes literal credit for that and, and let's, you know, help them see some other, some other tools of success that, that will help them in their future as well. Right. Right.
0: Yeah. So, um, not just grit, but gravy.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. You know, and that idea, like telling kids, oh, if you just work harder, you know, you're going to do better you know, that's not valuing the fact that they are working really hard already, you know, and, and they don't necessarily what the, know what that means, like you'll do, quote unquote, you'll do better. They don't have the vision of what that means. So if we can acknowledge that they're already working hard, that they're already like just surviving, you know, and then give them different visions to choose from, you know, it, it's, it's a way to partner with kids and with families that, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, public education, you know, as a, as a monster that it is, doesn't necessarily always pursue that. Um, it's a lot easier to, to suspend a kid. You know, it's a lot easier to kick a kid out um, than it is to, to sit down and help that kid see their, the strengths that they have and how they, if they reapply those strengths, you know, they, they're going to come out with a different outcome. Right.
0: Right. It's awesome. Um, well, to close out, yeah. what, what's a message of encouragement you want to offer the public? Yeah.
1: um, I think that, you know, simply put, you know, for people involved in education or people involved in service of any kind, you know, just to remember that it actually it matters. You know, that what you're doing matters. Um, Plenty of times you're going to come home. Plenty of times I come home, you know, and I'm beat down and I'm tired and I'm exhausted and, and, you know, the the ideals go away. So remembering that um, nothing is a small fight you know, that everything, everything actually matters when you're doing this kind of work. You know, I, I remember, a an old story. Like I, uh, you know, everybody's heard it. Um, guy walking down two guys now, sorry, let me start the story over guy walking down a beach. Um, and he sees this, this, this woman walking up in front of him, you know, and, and the beach is just littered with jellyfish that have washed up on shore. You know, there's some, some migration. I don't know what's going on. All these jellyfish up on shore. Um, and, you know, despite the fact that those jellyfish might, you know, sting them a little bit, the, the lady is walking down and she's picking up these jellyfish and she's throwing them back in the water as far as she can, you know, she's throwing them way back out there, you know, and the guy walking behind her is like, you know, that's, that's really nice of you, but look at this beach, you know, it's full of these jellyfish. Um, you're never gonna be able to save them. You know, how do you think you're, you're making a difference? You know, and the lady picked up another jellyfish And she said, you know what, I can't save all of them, but this one matters and what I'm doing matters to this one. Hmm. And she throws it out in the ocean. You know, I think that's a a perspective that's important to keep when you're in education, that it's not, you're never gonna fix everything, but even the smallest fights make a difference to somebody. So, you know, doing what you can, it matters. Mm -hmm. That's That's my encouragement.
0: Awesome, awesome. So doing what you can, taking the small steps um, That's right. in the midst of a big fight. That's right. And um, you're, you're, not, you know, you're not put here to fix everything. Right. You're, you're put here to help where you can. Right. Sometimes we overwhelm ourselves with right. trying to fix all the problems in the world uh, as opposed to focusing on two or three things that we can't do. That's right. Thanks for that encouragement. Yeah. So. We, you started by talking about you know a house you built off the grid and whatnot and you know I, I usually want to try to encourage people to follow my guys but then like you're off the grid so how can we follow you how well how can people stay connected to you can oh, can people stay connected to you that's that's hilarious you know it's like
1: you're saying like I I definitely fairly reclusive. Um, you know, I, I told you the story about not knowing what IGTV was and then realizing right, right. Instagram, you know, I, I am on Instagram. Um, it's, it's D coming zero, zero. Um, it's more of a personal account. I'm, I haven't really used social media professionally, although everybody keeps telling me I need to, I have a good, a good friend, um, Tom Gibson, you know, and he's constantly, oh, yes, Gibson education. I, I think, you know, yep. You know, he's constantly telling me I need to get my voice out there and you know, maybe I'll do that at some point. I guess I see myself like more of a grinder, less of a rainmaker. You know, I'm doing the work on the ground, and and I don't know. I'm not very good at the the bigger picture, like inspiring people and getting the word out there, like like you or or, or like Tom. Um, you guys are great at that kind of stuff.
0: So I don't know. I think it speaks like, to the point of what we discussed earlier in terms of different tracks for, for yeah. different yeah. Kids, right for our youngsters. Like That's everybody, right. Everybody you know, I don't even want to see everybody doing this, right? If I see right. everybody doing this, then I'm probably going to pivot and do something else. That's um, right. I like the fact that, you know, we have, you know, some folks who are out there being more vocal, and then we have some folks who are also grinders. I've always been a little bit of both. Uh-huh. Uh, but, I, you know, I appreciate you staying true to, you know, how you feel you need to operate in this world, because I know you're doing the work, but that's one of the reasons I want to interview you, so people know, uh, a little bit about you, a little bit about the work that you're doing in rural schools. And then yeah. hopefully that, that will encourage those who are working in the rural settings. But also for those of us who are not working in the rural settings to like build that awareness and, you know, be moved to somehow stay connected to supporting what's happening in rural environments.
1: Yeah, I think that's great, Roberto. And just remembering that, you know, I, I think the, you know, the big bad media or, or however we want to label that, um you know, likes to pit urban and rural against each other, but you know, like you said uh, several times, that that common thread of poverty is there, and and you know, if we could, if we could get people talking about that and understanding that, you know, that that could go a
0: long way. Well, Dan, we want to thank you, or I want to thank you for for being here with us on our classroom. Um, it's it's been wonderful to hear more about your story, to hear a bit about. What's happening in the setting that you're at um, to, to be challenged and encouraged by some of the things that you're saying and really looking forward to hearing more about yeah. how your school and that community is moving forward, especially with the work uh, connected to that $1.5 million grant. Yeah, you bet. Tiny homes that are going to be built. That's uh, even though I'm not part of the, that particular community. I I'm excited for you all. It's, Thanks, man. Um, yeah, it's, it's you know, keep, me posted. keep me posted. Keep us posted. Um, you know, put some pass some photos along as they start building some of the tiny homes. I would love yeah. to share it on our platform so um, so our, our people can uh, view view the progress, um, view the starting point, view the end point, And, again, who knows? Maybe somebody, maybe there's another school leader that's going to be inspired to go and do something similar. Right so, on. Absolutely. And thank you, Dan Cummins. Um, Thank you to everybody who joined us today. Thank you for listening and following us, being connected to Multicultural Classroom. Again, this is our classroom. And as I stated, learning happens whenever and wherever we are willing to stay open to learn new things and apply them. So peace be with y'all.